0: Only one God. Eternally existing, fully expressed in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, each member of the Godhead is equally God, each is eternally God, each is fully God, not three gods, the three persons of the Godhood. The doctrine is inscrutable. That is, we can't get this by our reason. This requires revealed truth, uh, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. It equally is ought to cause us to sit in awe uh, of uh, such a great God. Equally remarkable is that the truth that humanity is made in the image of God, and thus uh, to rule in such a way as to represent this great God in ways that is uh, true to his character and roles and relationships, so that ought to humble us uh, as we try to figure out how does this work then in my responsibilities and cause a little bit of fear, a good kind of fear. So with those two doctrines, we need to now uh, behold the third person the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And in our beholding, we need to learn from the Spirit's relationship to the Father and to the Son. So let's start with the Spirit's relationship uh, with the Father. The Spirit's relationship with the Father. So in creation, I'm just going to read it for you, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters." So who do we find there in this foreboding darkness but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and he's hovering, and He's the, the word there that he's, that's been used is hovering like a, a bird of prey o- over its young, uh, kind of watching over. So on the eve of bringing form to this formlessness, there is the Spirit who's keeping all things in check and control. So the Spirit is assisting in the story of the father. So we see that in creation. Now in redemption, as we saw in session three, it was the spirit who enabled Jesus to fulfill his role as the Messiah so that when Peter is introducing um The life and death of Jesus Christ to Cornelius, who's a a Gentile, he sums up Jesus' ministry with these words in Acts chapter 10, uh, verse 31. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Well, who was with him? Well, he was actually, the Holy Spirit anointed him, but as Peter's looking at it, it's God who was with him. So, God is with him, Matthew 12, uh, we find that Jesus is giving evidence of his claim as the Messiah. And in verse 22, he heals a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute. And the Pharisees are particularly um, uh, hard uh, to believe his claim. So Jesus says to them, to the Pharisees, If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has, been ca- has come upon you. So this is instructive because Jesus is placing, uh, the light, uh, is placing the light upon his identity. That light is a result of the spirit of God's power to cast out demons. So note, it's the spirit who enables. So the spirit is the one who's enabling, okay? The son is the one who's getting the glory. And the spirit is content with that, that Jesus gets the credit and honor. So he's saying, I, I'm the one who casted out the demon, and this should tell you, Pharisees, that I am the Messiah. This should, make, this should glorify me before you that I'm the one whom the Father has, prophet, has given us prophets to talk about. And so it should point you to me as the Messiah. But he does say that the Spirit is the one who has anointed him to have the power to do that. So again, the Spirit enables, the Sp- Son gets the glory, and the Spirit is content that Jesus gets the credit and honor. He is assisting in the work of of uh, in the work of redemption and then third thing in reconciliation we find the spirit in the final part of God's story reconciliation when we when we get to the eternity revelation chapter five verse six we will we look and we're going to look at that more closely but suffice to say he is present the spirit is present there he is assisting but he is content to be behind the scenes of the father's story so there's where the spirit is in terms of relationship with the role of the father All right, so where we find the Spirit most involved and thus most instructive is in the Spirit's relationship uh, and role with the Son. So, in general, we can say this. The work of the Spirit is to make much of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So that's his, in general, that's what he's going to do. He's going to make much of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So, John chapter 16 so if you had kept your Bible open to where we were in the previous session, you should be right there. John chapter 16, verses 12 through 14, that reads this way. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are, that are to come. And he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you And so we've already had that read. Um, but it's showing he will glorify him and he'll take what is Jesus and he will declare to them. But, but he does this in some specific ways. So here's our specific ways. Special revelation inspired by the Spirit focuses on Christ. Focuses on Christ. So when Peter, as he gets into his second letter... All the way in the back of your Bibles, Hebrews, James, First and 2 Peter. When Peter talks about how we receive the word of God, how it is that we have these Bibles that we are now turning to, that we have in our hands today, he writes this in verse, uh, verse 21, 2 Peter 1 verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, they were carried along. Now, it's an amazing work of God when you think about this, where men wrote down truths, that they wanted to write down. So they, they used their will to write things down. And they were using vocabulary that was familiar to them. And they were, they were working the grammar lessons that they had learned when they were kids. <laughs> and they had syntax that was familiar to them. So they're, all, they're using all of these things. And the Spirit, at the same time, is working in them so that they wrote simultaneously God's word. That's a miracle. I mean, that's, a, that's really neat. So I've heard it said this way, God wrote a book. <laughs> God's written a book. And he's done it in just an amazing way. And it just so happens that we live in a day and time in which we have it in our hands. Pretty cool. We got God's book. But as much as closely as the Spirit Spirit at work, the Bible is primarily not about the Spirit. So here he is writing it, but it's not about him. Um, But it's more about the Son. So remember the two, uh, they're on the road to Emmaus and... um, it's immediately after the it's immediately after the resurrection, and Jesus joins them on the road, and, and they don't recognize him. And the question, and and they begin to they begin to question him, and and they don't know what's going on. They're, they're kind of befuddled by what's all have happened, and they've heard it, you know somebody saying that he's risen from the from the dead, and you know they don't know if they need to believe, they can believe this or not. So after rebuking them for their unbelief, Luke writes. He writes, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, this is Jesus, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So although the the spirit inspired the Old Testament scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures have very little to do about the Holy Spirit, but has a lot to do with about the one who's going to come. And so Jesus is able to take the Old Testament to these individuals who are befuddled with what's going on and be able to show them all the way through the Old Testament how it's speaking about him, about the Messiah. So special revelation inspired by the Spirit focuses on the Messiah, on, on Christ. Letter B, Evangelism, empowered by the Spirit, proclaims the Gospel of Christ, proclaims the Gospel of Christ. So the good news that we tell others is not first and foremost about the Spirit, right? But it's about Christ. The good news about Jesus Christ is that he lived the life we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died so that by faith in his life and death we may be be saved. Yet, how does that good news get out into the world? The Spirit's role is to empower our witness to the good news. So, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem. Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so it's the Spirit of God who is empowering the proclamation of the good news. And the good news is about Jesus, and he has no problem with that. And yet he's the one who's primarily working Letter C, regeneration brought about by the Spirit brings new life in, guess who? Christ. Brings new life in Christ. When a baby comes out of a mother's womb, what is the first thing we're listening for? We kind of want to hear the cry, right? There's that silent moment. You know, if you've been there, you're kind of waiting. You're waiting for the cry. Um, that cry is an expression of life. And so is true in being reborn in Jesus Christ. And the cry that we have, life is given, and we know life is given because the individual repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That's the cry. And so that's when we know the Spirit has given life. All of a sudden, we're listening for that cry, so we're proclaiming the gospel, we're telling them about the word, you know, we're, we're interacting with them, we're talking about our stories, we're talking about who God is, we're talking about what Jesus has done for them on behalf and what they need to do, but and it's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit who regenerates, who gives life, and so what are, what are you and I are doing? We're listening, we're listening to their story, we're listening for them to finally say, oh, I get it, I am a sinner, and I, I hate my sin, and... What? Jesus did what? I believe that. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I want him as my savior. That's the cry. And so it's, it's that work of the Holy Spirit. And so we read that in John chapter 3, and you'll be familiar with that. Of course, that's there in, uh, with Nicodemus. John chapter 3, let me begin at verse uh, 3, which reads this way. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? A literalist, obviously. (laughs) Jesus answered, Truly, truly. Listen up. Pay attention. Here's truth. Truly, truly. So, look how Jesus describes the work uh, of the Spirit in the life of the person who's born again. He says, It's like wind, it's unseen. And like wind, it is uncontrollable. Did you see that? It says there, It blows where it wishes. And like wind, you hear its effects. Without the Spirit doing this regenerative work, there is new, no new life in Christ. We're simply blind, or maybe we should say dead, to Christ's beauty until the Spirit gives us life. But when we do see who primarily gets the glory, Jesus, the Son. The Spirit's goal is to open our eyes to behold the wonder and glory of Christ. So regeneration brought about by the Spirit brings new life in Christ. Now, turn to your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Because sanctification, sanctification progressively achieved by the Spirit makes us more and more like Christ <laughs> more and more like Christ. So you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. And we read this, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, so that's speaking of Jesus Christ, beholding the glory of Jesus Christ, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit's. So the way the Spirit works is is that He is helping us to see Jesus Christ more clearly, and so He is doing that. He's helping us to see that, and He is doing a transformative work in our lives, so that one degree we are becoming more and more like the Person of Jesus Christ. And it's the Holy Spirit who is doing that within within our within our lives. Um, he focuses our attention on His beauty. The beauty of the glory of Christ, which compels us, changes our affections for him rather uh, than lesser things. And over time, he takes our affections and transforms us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So one of the one of the things that the Spirit is doing in your life is, is that he is trying to change your affections. He's trying to change your loves. Because we, are, we love the wrong things, or our loves are out of disorder, and so what he does is he shows us something that's more lovely, more beautiful, more wonderful, and he does that uh, by showing us the glory of Christ. So the more we get to know Jesus Christ, the more we see his glory, the more we see his beauty, the more it gets at our hearts. So we're pretty good at getting knowledge, and we might be okay at being good, but that's that third piece, truth, goodness, beauty. It's the beauty piece that is the most difficult one to get at. That's the, that's the affections. So when we see something beautiful, it does something in our hearts. And so that's what he's doing. He's changing our affections. He's changing our heart. He's helping us to see beauty uh, in who God is and who the Person of Jesus Christ is, um, and that's how He's transforming us over over time. All right, so it's interesting. Uh, again, whose image is the Spirit conforming us into? It's the Son's image, not the not the Spirit's image. He is absolutely content with this responsibility um, of this role. Any any questions? Um, any thoughts? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yep. So is the Spirit conforming us specifically uh, to be like Jesus and not like the Father? Or is it, is that there are very things distinction there? There is a specific distinction. He is, he's conforming us into the image of his Son. That's what it says here in this passage. And that's a consistent, he's moving us towards this, the image of the Son because the Son is Fully human, he's God in incarnate, um, embodied spirit. The, the Father is not, yes. and so I think this is why we're in bodies and embodied spirits, and He is. So it makes sense that we're being conformed into the Son rather than into the Father. What? Yes, we're under God's authority. Yes, we're under God's authority, and he is, he is the son is living the life of uh, what it means to be fully human. We are not, and he's conforming us to become fully human. And so, um, when we, and it, it even says in 1 John, it says that when we see him, we will, um, we will be like him. We, you know, there's this, there's this um, trans- transformative change that will occur so that when we see the son, interestingly enough, it says the son, that we'll become like him. Not like the Father, because we'll still have bodies in heaven. Okay. All right, so um, where are we at? Uh, Da-da-da-da, question, oh yeah. uh, Roman numeral three then, the Spirit's relationship and role with the Father and the Son in eternity. And so this is where I want us to turn uh, to Revelation chapter five, verses six through 14. So in this age, the Spirit is actively working behind the scenes to work out redemption so that when we come to eternity, it seems the Spirit takes a back seat to the Son and the Father. In Revelation chapter five, um, John has a vision of the throne room of heaven, and halfway through this vision we turn to Romans uh, sorry, Revelation five. and here's what we have in verses six through 14. That's what I'm going to read for us. If I can get to it. There we go. Revelation 5, six through 14. "And between the throne and the four living creatures. And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So this is the lamb. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the presence of the saints, sorry, the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, speaking of the lamb, to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on earth be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Okay, so the spirit is in the vision, but clearly takes a backstage. The spirit is alluded to there in verse 6. When the lamb is said to have seven eyes, again read, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, here, the spirit is pictured as seven eyes, which are seven spirits. Now, don't let the number throw you. Okay, seven is a number of perfection, and so this is a symbolic way of saying that the perfect spirit has been sent out into all the earth. So that's what that means. It's so not now we've got seven holy spirits. No, we only have one spirit. It's, it's an expression, a way of symbolically expressing perfection. And so it is this spirit, per- perfect spirit, who is going out into all the earth, seven eyes. So to see clearly... And what is that spirit going to do in all the earth? Well, he is going to bring in people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And he's bringing in all those who have been ransomed and saved by the son. No one's going to get overlooked. Didn't see you. No, it's the seven eyes. Perfect vision of the perfect spirit who's going to go out and he's going to find all those in whom have been ransomed by the lamb. And so no one's going to be missing on that great day when we're around the throne. Did you see now what happened? You, you could tell how I, I expressed it. So they're worshiping the one on the throne and the lamb. And so while the lamb has a, is, is submissive to the one on the throne, the Father, by, we see that by him taking the scroll and opening it up, in terms of worship, it is absolutely right that the, they are being worshipped because they are fully God. Fully Father is the fully God and the, and the Son. But interesting, the Spirit is not, you know, it, there's no worship being given to the Spirit. He is present, okay, so he's present, we know that, and even central in bringing uh, to faith those who worship, but he is not up front being honored. So the Spirit, who is eternally God, possessing identically the same nature as the Father and the Son, willingly and eternally takes the position of supporter, helper, assistant, and behind-the-scenes worker, always pointing our attention to the Son for the ultimate glory of the Father. So, what are our applications? What are our applications? Well, number one, be instructed by the Spirit's deep and abiding willingness to serve unnoticed. To serve unnoticed. It's almost like He's trying to be unnoticed. He's, um, and again, we could go back and say it is, it is, it is just as as is God-like to exercise authority and it's just as is Godlike is to submit to authority, so it is also God-like to go unnoticed. It's tempting to resent not being noticed, not receiving credit for a crucial work we do, but it's godly. I think if we could settle on that a bit, if we could really rest in that, um, particularly if you're working in a work situation and you know you're doing all the work and the other person's getting all the glory, um, you know the one who's in authority is getting the glory. You can become resentful and hateful and bitter. But a way to combat that bitterness, I think, is recognizing, okay, well, it's a godly thing. The Spirit's showing me it's a godly thing to go unnoticed. Somebody will notice. God's noticing ultimately, so that's, um, that can help us. Number two, when delegated temporary authority, use it not for personal gain, but for, uh, but for the greater gain. Is not used, so do not use it for personal gain, so that's the, that's the space there for you. Personal gain, but for greater gain. And this goes back to the last session in the importance of staying on mission. When we, we receive temporary authority, we need to use it not for our own personal glory, but for the greater gain, and that is the mission, and that's what we see the Holy Spirit doing. He's not trying to place, you know, place glory upon himself. He's still trying to place glory upon the son because he knows that that is the greater gain, that people understand who the son is. Number three, happily submit to an equal who has received temporary authority. Happily submit to an equal who has received temporary authority. Now, think about this relationship between the spirit and the son. They are equals. And for a time, the spirit is given authority over the son. And the son happily submits. And then the spirit who had temporary authority happily returns the authority back to the equal, the son. These happy returns are a result of the son and the spirit being submissive to the father. So you might have been in situations where someone who is your equal is given authority over you. I think that is the hardest place to be in, in terms of submitting to that temporary authority that has been given over you. You might say, well, I'm on the same pay grade as you. Who are you, telling, who are you to tell me what to do? Well, the way I can say, Okay, it's okay, is that I know that ultimately I'm submitting to the one who is my ultimate authority, who has given temporary authority to whom maybe I would even say is, I'm better than them. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is where I go. Okay, maybe you don't, but I go there. Um, and I find all the faults of why I should have been given that temporary authority. And so then I get all screwed up in my head and then I'm not a very good, you know, I'm not submitting to that temporary authority because I'm not submitting to the ultimate authority. But if I can realize I'm submitting to the ultimate authority by submitting to your authority, even though I might say I would have been a better person for this because, you know, we know it comes up and like, oh, I wish I would get that position and somebody else gets it over me. I can happily submit to that authority, even if I disagree with them having it, because I'm ultimately submitting to the authority over me. And that's a helpful place to be so I don't go freaking out in my head and being a total jerk at work. That's the place I've seen it happen in my life the most. So, okay, so that's number uh, three. But then number four, happily hand over your temporary authority to return to your previous position. And again, we see this in the, in the Spirit's joyful, willing position of always uh, being third. So happily hand over Happily hand over your temporary authority to return to your previous position. So now think of yourself in a place where you got temporary authority. And all of a sudden they say, well, over, done. How do we hand that back over? Happily. Because we know that would be godlike. Because that's exactly what the Spirit did. He had no problems. And again, we are called to make image bearers. And then number five, unity and harmony requires differences working together. Unity and harmony requires differences working together. So we need to resist the lie of our culture that says that the only way for us to exist happily together is to acknowledge everyone as the same. And that's kind of the culture we're living in, that we gotta, everybody's got to kind of be acknowledged as, as the same, The Trinity shows us a relationship where in mutual support of one another's respective roles, there can be unity and harmony of purpose, joy, peace, love, fulfillment, and full satisfaction as we just simply work out the roles that God has given to us. So we don't have to all be the same. We all have different things that we can do, and it will be great harmony. It will be great harmony.